1: Our podcast today is sponsored by Athletic Greens. I take AG1 by Athletic Greens every day for better gut health, increased energy, and immune system support. As someone who is constantly on the go, AG1 helps me to cover my nutritional bases with a simple, tasty, easy-to-mix drink. I take AG1 in the morning and it makes me feel ready to take on my entire day. Why take a bunch of different pills when you can just mix one scoop of powder and water once per day? AG1 was designed for ease of use so you can live healthier and better without having to do a lot. One single serving delivers a powerful blend of vitamins, minerals, probiotics, adaptogens, and much more. If you are looking for an easier way to take supplements, Athletic Greens is giving you one free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Just go to athleticgreens.com forward slash that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Zuby and get your free year supply of vitamin D as well as five free travel packs with your order. Go check it out. I am the man sick with the slang, sick and i destined for fame. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. On today's episode, we have got on a brilliant guest. He is a nephrologist and he is also a best selling author of several important books, including The Obesity Code and The Complete Guide to Fasting. And this is the one and only Dr. Jason Fong. Welcome to the show.
0: Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here.
1: Awesome, man. It's great to have you on. Uh, Dr. Fung, for people who are not familiar with you, please tell them a little bit about yourself.
0: Yeah, so I'm a kidney specialist. Um, so I basically uh, treat a lot of dialysis patients, a lot of type 2 diabetes patients. And that's sort of where my interest in weight loss came out because it became obvious that if you just treat the diabetes or treat the kidney failure as you get the diabetes, it's it's very unsatisfactory. Uh, much better is to try to prevent the diabetes so that you never get the problems. And to do that, you have to lose weight, basically. Um, And and that's where it, it, you know, as I started to think about it a lot more, there was a lot of misconceptions in uh, the treatment of obesity and how to lose weight and so on. And some of it was just very striking. For example, the treatment paradigm that, most doctors get and I got was, it's all about calories in, calories out, for example, and you just have to eat fewer calories. Uh, The problem with that, of course, is that that uh, sort of advice to cut 500 calories a day is spectacularly unsuccessful. Like the failure rates are somewhere along the lines of 99%. So in other words, we were advising, we're giving people a strategy that had a 99% failure rate. And you wonder why doctors basically don't give advice on how to lose weight. They they didn't know, they didn't get the training to teach their patients. They knew that the training that they got when they gave that advice, it almost always failed. So therefore they just gave up. And yet here's this um, condition, uh, obesity, which contributes to type two diabetes, contributes to all kinds of things. We know that, right? It contributes to heart disease, contributes to strokes, contributes to cancer, contributes to like back pain and knee pain and hip replacements and all these other problems that we all face. And yet physicians had basically given up the whole field to like, you know, shake companies and nutritional supplement companies and Weight Watchers and that kind of thing. Right. It's like, but this is a real important medical topic. Uh, so, so that's where I became very interested and that's where I started talking about it. I started blogging about it because a lot of the information that I learned was actually just like hundred percent wrong. Like it was just mm. stupid. Like eat at the time, you got to remember this was 2014 or so people are saying, oh, you should eat small meals through the day and, you know, eat very low fat and all this sort of, uh, you know, so eat a lot of muffins and stuff right and they're low fat right <laughs> lots of potatoes and rice you know starchy low carb low, low fat foods right and, and and nobody was losing weight people are gaining weight gaining weight gaining weight but it never occurred to them that uh hey you know look at your results like your results are terrible people are getting more overweight which is causing more health problems so we really need to reevaluate the advice we're giving people and think about it. So I started talking about intermittent fasting, which I think is a, a, a good strategy for many people, um, as well as low-carbohydrate diets, which I also think is a good strategy for many people. None of these things are sort of cure-alls, right? It's not some miracle thing. Um, and sometimes uh, people think that it should be, but, you know, it's a tool. You know, you, you need different tools for different people. And those are tools that we shouldn't ignore which we were ignoring we were basically saying they, they that we shouldn't do it but of course uh, that that that's this that's the sort of background that I came from uh, how I became interested in the weight loss uh, sort of puzzle
1: awesome before we carry on and we get into some of the intricacies of some of the things we talk about I want to I want to give you some flowers Jason I want to give you some flowers okay. I don't know if you know how I came across you and your work. I don't know if I've, I haven't, don't think I've mentioned this publicly because actually I wanted to save it for the podcast to tell you this in person. And I want to thank you because my parents who are in their mid sixties and seventies, they read your book, the complete guide to fasting in early 2020. At this point, my mom had been type two diabetic for about four or five years and her diabetes has been in remission since 2020 after following your protocol my mom is no longer diabetic thanks to reading thanks in part to reading your book she started fasting and completely put it in remission she has also lost 25 plus pounds my dad has also lost over 25 pounds and they've both kept the weight off since 2020 and we're now in 2023 and there is a good chance that that would not have happened if it were not for your work. So personally, I want to say a massive thank you for putting this information out there because as you know, it's helping people, but I am one of the many people, you know, indirectly who its the, the work has benefited and my parents are a lot healthier now. So, thank you.
0: Well, thank you so much. I mean, that's that's you know, to me that's amazing to hear because you know, this is what I'm talking about, right? You give people the right information, and they can do great things, right? Like we assume people are too stupid to do anything about it themselves, right? You, but you give people the right information, they do it, they look after themselves and look what happens, right? And, and it's crazy because by going from diabetic to non-diabetic, uh, you know, her risk of all these important complications has gone way down. So maybe you don't see it in the next few months, but in the next few years, clearly, it's a huge risk factor. So that was the other thing that was, I thought was stupid, right? This is what it broke the diabetes code about, was that again, at the time people were saying, every diabetes association in the world had been saying that type two diabetes was a chronic and progressive disease, which is saying that once you have that diagnosis, you will never undo that diagnosis. You will be type two diabetic forever. And as they were saying this, and I, I actually put it in some of my, my YouTube lectures, I said one of the biggest lies about type 2 diabetes is that it's chronic and progressive. Because everybody knows, doctors know, patients know, everybody knows, you lose weight, that diabetes either gets better or goes away. This is mm-hmm. type 2 diabetes. And it's like, so why are we lying that it's chronic and progressive? It's not. It's about how you treat it. And and of course, the the, the The doctors were treating you with a lot of drugs. And, you know, if it's a dietary disease and you treat it with drugs, well, you're not going to reverse the disease. So I said it's reversible, but you have to look at the right things, right? You can't use drugs for a dietary disease. You got to fix the diet. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, you can put this into reverse. And of course, at the time, it was completely hair, complete heresy, right? Now, of course, in 2021 every diabetes association now has criteria for remission so mm-hmm. it was like you just had to give them a push in the right direction and you know like you I tend to be very blunt I, I came out and just said this is stupid it's it's a big <laughs> lie
1: <laughs> well so. it's important you know because in every in every industry and in every sector you need people who are willing to question and challenge the orthodoxy and i think that in the world of nutrition in particular i mean even over the course of my relatively short life of 30 something years the amount of sort of the way that the general information has has changed i mean i remember in the 90s of course the the sort of standard us food pyramid that was pushed around the world really you know super high carbs 10 12 servings of carbs per day, you know, very, very low fats, you know, moderate amounts of of meat, protein, meat, dairy, and fruit and veg. And then I remember the, you know, then it sort of switched to fat, you know, yeah, fat, fat was the devil. And then carbs definitely became the devil. And it became, you know, the Atkins diet and everything keto, keto, everything. And then it sort of switched into paleo. And then it switched again. And it's, it's amazing. It's like every sort of five to seven years, there's this sort of change and oftentimes complete contradiction of what was being said before. But I think that I think that the '80s and '90s programming of animal saturated fat, fat in general being bad, but especially animal fat and saturated fat being bad. Um, you know, skipping meals being very bad, not eating breakfast being very bad. Um, What other things you know? High high carbs being being very very good as long as there's low fat. All of these ideas, I think, are still so deeply ingrained in people's psyche. Even 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 those of us who are more likely to sort of question it. I mean, for example, with uh, you know, I don't right now seed oils, for example, are are a big conversation, and it's been so put in people's brains that things like uh, processed margarine are better and healthier than say than say butter right and if you tell someone actually well you know butter is not butter is not the devil you know butter is better than you know these trans fats and whatever and no people don't believe it because i think it caught so many people so young and it's been repeated so many times and it hasn't really been updated properly even though there are you know heretics such as yourself out there saying well what about what about fasting what about this what about that So there's still so much work to be done there. And I do hope that we see some generational shift in it because, I mean, just looking at the obesity rate numbers, certainly in the USA, but also in in any Western developed country, pretty much in every single country, the numbers are startling. And it just, you know, the percentage of people who are obese just keeps going up and up and up. And despite us having access to so much information and so many people Um, it it still seems like that has, I think that's something that needs to be put in remission on a societal level, because at the rate it's going, I mean, you know, everyone's, it's going to be like 90% obesity rate or something within a few decades, if it keeps going as as the way it's going.
0: Yeah, I think, I think that, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot there. I mean, uh, there's, to me, there is always two sort of important issues. One is the diet, that is the foods that you eat. And, you know, there's always debates about that. I, I think that, for the most part, it does change every every couple of years, right? But it's, uh, you know, if you get back to sort of traditional foods, you probably can't go too wrong. Um, and that's, that's one of the things that we have to always keep in mind. I think that was one of the good things about sort of paleo movement and, you know, uh, whole food plant-based. It's not plant-based because, of course, there was this automatic assumption I, I remember thinking this many many years ago that if you're plant-based you automatically must be skinny and it's like it's not true at all of course right you could eat chocolate donuts all day long and vegetarian pizza not very good for you and quite fattening you know french fries and pizza and um, chocolate donuts right you you would gain a lot of weight if that's all you ate was pizza and donuts so there's nothing automatically healthy about a vegetarian diet but it's you know now you're starting then you add whole foods and as soon as you start doing that it's good right it it probably is quite good paleo same thing eat natural foods keto originally was eat natural foods then it just sort of became you know just high fat and Mm -hmm. processed foods right so um, but that's that's sort of one issue, which, which gets a lot of play. What what a lot of people hadn't talked about for a long time was also the timing of the meals, right? So should you eat six times a day, eight times a day? Because if you remember about seven or eight years ago, that was the prevailing orthodoxy. When I started saying that, you know, well, you shouldn't really be eating all the time like you can have a period of fasting it's normal it's natural that's where the word breakfast comes in right it breaks your fast means you have to fast right uh it was like people went crazy they're like oh no you need to eat every like one and a half to two hours i'm like okay but you know that before like 1990 like nobody did that right like zero people did that because there just wasn't the same amount of snacking back then it wasn't easily available like you know, nobody had it around, so you didn't eat it. And, and you're fine. You could go from lunch to dinner, you know, without keeling over. Like, it's possible, right? <laughs> and and somehow we went, we went from, you know, the 70s and 80s, for example, where, you know, if you wanted an after-school snack, your mom would say, no, you're going to ruin your dinner. And if you wanted a bedtime snack, your mom would say, no, you should have ate more at dinner, to – you need an after-school snack and you need the bedtime snack, right? And, you know, it's like even in the schools, uh, for example, you get these notes, please send two snacks with your kids. I'm thinking, why are are they not eating lunch or am I not feeding them dinner? Which one is it, right? Tell me, because why am I giving them two snacks? Mm -hmm. Uh, Or, you know, when they play sports and you know, parents think, oh, you have to give them a snack, right, in between while they're playing sports. I'm like, why? <laughs> they're not hungry. They're not thirsty. So, so it's, it's a very interesting sort of um, this change, and nobody really had kind of snuck in there without anybody knowing. But, yeah, absolutely, there is a lot of uh, changes that we need to make about, hey, the, the human body is quite amazing. We are able to store energy, food energy, with just calories, which means that you don't have to eat constantly because your body has energy stores. So if you don't eat, you're gonna take that energy stores back out of body fat, right? So if you're trying to lose 100 pounds, that's like 350,000 calories of energy sitting on your body. Why does it matter if you eat that muffin in the morning? Because if you don't eat that muffin, you know, the 300 calories of muffin in the morning, your body will take that 300 calories out of your body fat stores. And I would rather that happen than you take that muffin, right? So the whole thing was kind of nonsensical and there's still a lot of opposition against fasting. I'm Mm -hmm. thinking, okay, think about this. Fasting is just any period of time that you're not eating. So if you're against fasting, you think that you need to eat the minute you get up until the minute you go to bed, Now keep in mind that when you're eating, your body is going to store calories. That's what you're telling the body to do when you put that food in your mouth. Because food goes in, your body's like, well, I have more than enough right now, so I'm gonna put in storage. Right? So, you know, just flip it on its head, right? If you're against fasting, you're pro constant eating. Mm -hmm. Constant eating. Equals weight gain. There's just no way around it. It is actually completely impossible for you to lose weight while you are putting food in your mouth. It does not happen. The only way you actually lose body fat is to not eat so that your body will take the energy back out. Mm -hmm. So if you're constantly eating, not going to work. Right. But of course, you know, again, like you said, you repeat something often enough. Oh, you have to eat breakfast. Oh, you must snack. Oh, you have to pretty soon. Everybody accepts it as true. Even though the logic of it is completely, you know, like there's no logic in it, right? You have to eat to lose weight. Well, no, you can't eat (laughs) and lose weight. You have to not eat to lose weight. That's just the way it Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because I've had a I've had a, a fairly unique journey over the past two decades with this stuff. So I, I got into the gym early. I mean, I, I used to I started training when I was I started training seriously when I was 15. And so I, I was really into bodybuilding and particularly even more so than in the general world. But in the world of bodybuilding and fitness in general, it was like, yeah, you need to eat every two to three hours. Otherwise, you're going to go catabolic. That was always the thing every, every young man who was trying to build mu- muscle was worried about, you know, that you go catabolic after two hours and your body starts consuming your muscle mass um, if you don't eat for two to three hours. So myself and loads of my friends who were, you know, 15, 16, we were just pounding calories. We were just eating all day long. It didn't matter if we weren't hungry, just every two to three hours on the clock, making sure you're eating, making sure you're getting your 30 grams of protein. This is also when they were saying, you know, you can't digest more than 30 grams of protein at a time. So if you're going to hit that one gram per pound of body weight, then you have to spread it across five, six, seven different meals during the day. Um, And I believed this until my early twenties. So I came across intermittent fasting early, actually, I started intermittent fasting in 2009. And this was with a uh, Martin Burkens lean So I came across this website, which was countering absolutely everything that was like the common orthodoxy in in bodybuilding, especially this is a guy saying, You know, you can just eat one or two meals a day in a very short, in a relatively short window, you know, four to eight hour window. You can digest way more than 30 grams of protein in one sitting. You don't need to be feeding yourself all the time. So I remember remember reading this and just thinking like, what on earth? Like this is completely counterintuitive to everything I've learned. And also, you know, I I had made good progress with eating five, six meals a day. The problem was that I was always hungry, especially if I was trying to diet down. Um, but you know, i built up a good amount of muscle mass and strength and my athletic ability was good. And, and I, I was ne- I've never been a big on, you know, just pounding junk food. So I was still eating good food. I was just eating way more than I needed to. and I was thinking about food as a result, way more than I needed to. Cause I'm constantly thinking, okay, I need to eat every two, three hours. I need to plan the next meal. I need to plan the next meal. So I, I, I re- I was reading this guy's blog and his site again, this is 2000, 2009. And I was like, all right, let me give this a shot. Because I wanted to lean down for a summer and I was like, all right, I'm gonna try this, I'm gonna try this intermittent fasting thing. I think it was the 16-8 protocol. So that's 16 hours fasting and then an eight-hour eating window. And it worked. I mean, other diets I'd done before had worked, but with this one, I was like, I'm not even hungry. That was the difference. Like before, I'd be ravenously hungry if I was trying to trying to cut down. And with this, I was just like, oh wow, I can just eat, you know, twice a day and I'm fine. I eventually I got down to doing, you know, just kind of a five or six hour window and then fasting for 18, 19 hours a day. And it was, it was totally fine. And I think even more so at that time, I think now people have at least heard of intermittent fasting, but even in 2009, it was like, I remember even telling people about it, and it. It was just like, no, like that's especially bodybuilding pros. It was just like, dude, like you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna lose all your muscle mass. You're gonna lose all your gains and so on. So actually, now for me, for ooh, for fourteen, thirteen, fourteen years, I've mostly done intermittent fasting. Um, if I'm switching time zones a lot or I'm traveling constantly, then I'm not too dogmatic with it. But I typically still have around an eight-hour eating window, sometimes six, sometimes seven, Um, and I've I've kept that up for well over a decade at this point. So, uh, for anyone who has not tried intermittent fasting, um, even if you're doing it that sort of style, you know, not even doing twenty-four hours or multiple days, then even that, it it, it just for me, the big thing actually was just the life simplification. That was one of the, the biggest things for me, just. Being far more conscious of what and when I was consuming, and then just not having this constant concern about needing to eat even when I'm not hungry and I don't feel like it. And so now when I eat, you know, I eat and I feel satisfied, and I generally eat, you know, until I'm pretty full. And then I do that pretty much twice a day, and I'm good to go.
0: Yeah, it, it was pretty amazing, actually, because that was, uh, you know, a lot of that same advice. My, I, I mean, my core audience is sort of older, right? It's mostly sort of older people who have type 2 diabetes or obesity, trying to lose weight. But it was the same thing. They had the same problem, right? They're getting this advice that you have to, and, and you look at some of these diet plans, right? And it's like, you know, it's like a breakfast and then a mid-morning snack and then a lunch and then a snack and then a dinner and then a snack and then mm-hmm. another snack. And people are constantly thinking about what to eat. And then when they actually eat their meal, instead of eating until they're full, you know, the meal was like, you know, you know like, you know, three pieces of lettuce, right? And it's like, oh, that's all you get, right, for lunch. And it's like, because you're going to get a snack. So, you know, to me, it was complete, like, people were going crazy on this because they're like, okay, now it's it's a huge chore to plan your whole day because you're – thinking about the seven or eight meals that you have to have and they're going crazy. And the other thing, of course, is this whole idea that you should eat a little bit and then stop is, is again, it's stupid because (laughs) if you think about it, what, what, you know, increases your appetite? Well, we have things called appetizers, which are small portions that are not enough to make you completely full but enough to get your saliva going to for you to be thinking about food. So if you're going to eat an appetizer for breakfast because you're eating a small meal, right? Now you're going to stimulate your hunger. And before you actually get full, you're going to stop. Okay, that's a lot of willpower. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to do that again in the mid-morning. Then you're going to do that again at lunch, right? You're going to have you know a little bit of bread and then stop. So now you're hungry but you're going to stop eating because that's what the meal plan told you to do, right? These six small meals, eight small meals a day, right? So you're constantly stimulating your hunger and not satisfying it. And it's like, well, no wonder everybody's going crazy with these diets because the the way it's structured is completely opposite to the way that we sort of have historically eaten, which is Mm -hmm. you have your meal time, which is, breakfast lunch and dinner say or just lunch and dinner for people who don't eat breakfast you eat you eat until you're full and that gets you to the next meal and then dinner takes you right through to the next day sort of thing right and not this sort of constant grazing i remember one of the first meetings i went to with uh, one of these nutrition meetings you're like you know you could graze all the time if you want to look like a cow <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah that that is really true and uh you know the other thing i think i thought was funny about um intermittent fasting now that you you brought it up was that one some of the very first people to seriously embrace it were actually the bodybuilders Mm -hmm. uh because you have this interesting sort of dual uh mandate one to build muscle but two to lose body fat right because you have to be very lean in order to show off your muscles which is different than say weight training like you know the world's strongest man competitions mm-hmm. none of them are very lean right they're generally very big because you know if you eat a lot you can get a little strong, right so the, the you know that was interesting to me because it showed people i guess that no you didn't have to lose muscle to to gain that there's there's a balance there that you can get with intermittent fasting but again there's so many benefits it simplifies your life and again people you know you've kept it up for six or you know nine ten eleven twelve years and and people always say you know it's like the it's a fad diet it's like you know they talk about it in every religion many which are (laughs) thousands of years old right so even if you take the you know catholic religion it's like you know they talk about it in the bible right and so it's at least we at least have 2023 years of experience with fasting it's not a fad yeah <laughs> literally millions of people have done it over their entire lives so no it's not much of a fad same with three meals a day like uh, our grandparents did it sort of every day of their life you know didn't you know routinely have snacks they did it for like their whole life. It's not, you know, it's not something crazy, right? It's literally Mm. the oldest intervention. So I I think a lot of that has, you know, that was a lot of what I was talking about in the Complete Guide to Fasting and the Obesity Code was, hey, you know, we have this tool for weight loss, for reversing type 2 diabetes, because, you know, when you think about it, uh, you know, we, we, we overcomplicate things, right? So if you think about how the body works, the body uh, has two different fuels that it can use. It can use sugar, which is glucose, which is carbs, or it can use fat. And when it stores energy, you can store it as glucose or you can store it as fat. So if you want to, if you have a disease where you have too much glucose, like type 2 diabetes, or if you have a disease where you have too much body fat, like obesity, well, just let your body use it up. Right, that's fasting, that's mm-hmm. basically what it does. Um, and 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 you know, why wouldn't you use it? Right, so so it's 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 a really interesting sort of you know, change in, in the way people have seen things, and uh, you know, some of the pioneers like Martin Birkin and stuff, they, they, they've been great, they were you know, a little bit different audience than I was sort of targeting, but mm-hmm. uh, certainly made a huge difference in terms of uh, in terms of that, uh, those populations and bringing it into the mainstream.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think what's interesting, and, and funnily enough, this goes for more than the issues of, you know, o- obesity and some of the related, you know, metabolic syndrome and other problems with that is the the actual anomaly and aberration is really the period from, the nineties until the early 2020s. If you think about it, I mean, yeah. all throughout history, like you said, you know, this, this constant grazing, constant snacking, this is not how human beings would have eaten. It was more of a, you know, feast and, you know, feast and fast and, mm-hmm. you know, un- unfortunately sometimes famine, but you know, it's it's only sort of this 30 year or so period Where all of these new ideas, you know, based in oftentimes just advertising and PR campaigns, if we're being honest, (laughs) but then backed by, you know, bogus science and funded studies from certain organizations have sort of programmed so many hundreds of millions of people to think that, you know, again, whether you're just um, uh, an, an average person or you're even a bodybuilder or an athlete, You've been programmed with this idea that you need to wake up and, you know, wake up and eat. The thought of even waking up and eating something immediately makes me feel like gross. <laughs> like I, 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 <laughs> I travel, I travel all the time when I stay at hotels and whatever. And, you know, they serve breakfast from like 6 a.m. till 9 a.m. And, and you know, like these American breakfasts as well, it's like 6.30 in the morning and people are there like eating pancakes with like syrup <laughs> and, this and this. And I'm just like, how are you eating that at 6.30 a.m.? I mean, you you clearly don't need it. Again, I'm looking at the person thinking you're not, you know, you've, you've yeah. got quite a lot of stored, yeah. you've got a lot of stored energy on your body quite clearly. Um, and they'll do that. And then, you know, by the time I'm having my first meal, they might be on their third or on their fourth. And I'm just thinking, man, that's such an, that's such an anomaly. And when you break away from the programming, and you do think about it, and this is the moment I had when I when I uh, first discovered intermittent fasting, I was like, that doesn't really make sense, does it? You know, the idea that your body can only process 30 grams of protein in a sitting. Yeah. I was like, that yeah. that doesn't make sense. The idea that my body's going to start cannibalizing my my lean body mass if I don't eat for 3 hours. Like if you think about it, even though I I'd accepted this because the magazine said so, when I really thought about it, I was like that's so stupid. Like that does not even <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Like why would my why would a human body start start cannibalizing itself? After three hours, not we're not we're not even saying three days or three months, or and and that why and why would it eat my muscle first? Right? Exactly. That it do, it doesn't actually make sense.
0: Yeah, that's what I always <laughs> said. Because I always said, like, look, your body is going to store energy as glucose or fat, mm. and you know, if you think that the body will start burning functional tissue, like the bo- human body has to be incredibly stupid, right? To store energy as fat and the minute you need it to start burning muscle. Why would it do that? Right? How would we yeah. have survived, right? You think about all those native peoples, you know, cavemen and cave women. There's feast and famine. So if you, you know, store fat and then burn muscle. You should have like these little giant blobs of fat running around <laughs> the American planes, right? But they're not, right? All these traditional people's, you know, cavemen, like they're lean, right? They're muscular. There's no fat, right? So it's like it's obviously wrong because the human body's not that stupid, right? It's like, you know, storing firewood for the winter head. And as soon as it gets cold, you chop up your sofa. It's like, no, like, no, you're not going to do that. And and this, this idea that you need to fuel yourself for the day ahead, I mean, that gets repeated so often, but it's actually completely false too. Because again, you think about it, what happens in the body is that at around 4 a.m., there's a circadian rhythm, which is this natural rhythm of hormones that goes up and down. And at around 4 a.m., the hormones that go up are, you know, growth hormone and sympathetic nervous system. It's getting you ready- for the day ahead. Um, and it's pushing glucose into your system. So you actually can see this sometimes it's called the dawn phenomenon. So your glucose, your blood glucose level is low at night and then it pops up a little bit, uh, in the early morning and that's natural. So your body has actually started to fuel yourself from your own stores. So no, you do not need to put a muffin in your mouth in order to have energy for the day ahead. You're already getting that energy from your body fat stores, from your blood glucose stores, which if your blood glucose levels are high, is a very, very good thing, right? Mm-hmm. Instead, we tell people, no, you got to eat a muffin, right? It's like, it's so silly. I mean, and, and you think about all those uh, people, particularly in like, you know, in North America, we think, oh, you have to eat this big American breakfast, but, you know, in Italy, for example, their breakfast is like a little espresso, right? It's not even very much liquid. It's like, whoop, that's it, right? It's like, uh, you know, it doesn't make any sense. And, and, mm. and the same thing, and, and you're absolutely right that this is a very recent thing, and it's coincided with this big spike in obesity. Like, we, we worry so much that if people don't eat, they're going to do irreparable harm to themselves. Mm. At the same time... I as a doctor had been telling people to fast all the time, because if you have, you know, if you have to go for surgery, you have to fast, if you have surgery, you have to fast, if you go for colonoscopy, you have to fast, if you do fasting blood work, you have to fast. So all along, I'm telling people to fast for this fast for that, because you know, and nothing bad happens, nothing bad ever happens, right? Yeah. Um, So so at the same time, as we are saying that it's so harmful to fast, Doctors all over the world are telling, oh, you need to fast for your blood work tomorrow, or you need to fast for your colonoscopy, or you need to do this, right? So it doesn't make sense. And, you know, you you think back again uh, to the 70s, and, you know, people are eating dinner at 6 p.m., they're eating breakfast at 8 a.m. That's like 14 hours of fasting Mm -hmm. every single day without even thinking about it. And if you were a bad boy and got sent to bed without dinner, you're fasting for 20 hours, right? We think we can't go two hours and kids... All over the place. We're going 20 hours, right? And nothing bad was happening. Like everybody survived. Everybody did fine. Right? So it it was completely it was complete nonsense, right? When you think about it. You really (laughs) had to but somebody has to think about it and say, look, I hear what you're telling me and I've heard it thousands of times before. But like yeah, somebody has to say, I'm like calling bullshit on it, right? Because it makes zero sense to me. It just, Mm. it just, you know, there's no logic in the whole thing.
1: Well, yeah, you say that. What's interesting is it makes perfect sense if you think of the financial and profit incentives (laughs) of encouraging people to believe all of these things, to believe that you're going to start That you're going to starve to death if you don't eat for two or three hours, or that your body's going to cannibalize your your muscle. To believe that you need, uh, you know, thirty grams of protein every couple hours. To believe that you know fasting is horribly detrimental. To believe that you need to eat so many snacks all throughout the day. I mean, it's fantastic. Let's be honest, it's fantastic for the food industry. It's fantastic for. If you're growing uh, all all of these crops, or you're selling corn, or you're selling soybeans, or vegetable oils, it's it's great. It's probably good for some of these pharmaceutical companies as well, right? I mean, fasting. The biggest problem with fasting, let's be honest, is it's not profitable.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's no there's no money at all. I mean, there's pretty much there's no money to be made from fasting. There's no money to be made by prescribing fasting. For recommending it, the, the last thing a snack food or a fast food company wants is for people to be fasting. Like it, it's it's horrible for them. I think I think that's just the reality of it. I think it's simply incentives.
0: Yeah, and unfortunately, what's happened, of course, is that a lot of those incentives have found their way into academia, academic yes. medicine, mm-hmm. and we know this like hundred percent. Uh, we have tons of studies on it. Like whoever funds the study, always finds results that are favorable to that study. So in fact, you look at studies of breakfast, and if you look at the ones that are funded by Kellogg, <laughs> all of them show <laughs> that you must eat breakfast, right? No way!
1: <laughs> I, I, I can't believe it. <laughs> I know.
0: And the ones that don't show it, that are not funded, show hey, there's not really any difference. You can eat it or you can not eat it. You can take it or leave it, right? But The problem is that, uh, and and it's the same for academic, uh, you know, faculties everywhere, and Coke got sort of caught doing this. They gave, like, millions of dollars to fund research showing that sugar wasn't that bad for you. And, of course, what they do is they give their dollars for the academic prestige. It happened at the University of Colorado, for example. So they're giving money to fund research, but, of course, the, the funding person winds up playing a huge role in what those results are and that's always that's always true so you can't go out there like if coke wants to do a study to show that you have to you have you know sugar is good for you or sugar is not bad for you well nobody's going to believe it if they say coke researchers show that coke is not bad for you right so they can't do that so instead they give lots and lots of money and it's not just coke obviously it's all the, the food companies you give a lot of money to academic researcher and say, University of Colorado or Harvard, uh, you know, whatever. So sugar researchers did this in the 70s. They gave these researchers like a lot of money, the sugar associations, and, you know, they showed that sugar was safe for you, right? It's been, they're getting a lot, a lot of money to say that, right? So so then the problem is, of course, then all these academic centers and, 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 and you know, To a large extent, these academic centers are so blinded by those dollars, they don't even see the conflicts of interest anymore. Mm. They just see that, hey, you know, we need the money from here. And they're so used to getting the money from it, they don't even see that there is a problem anymore with accepting that money. So they continue to accept the money, of course, and they continue to produce research showing that, hey, you know, it's about calories and calories is the favorite whipping boy. Because, you know, nobody's company is called calories, right? It's, it's you know, the, 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 the beef associations want beef to be healthy and the corn association wants the corn to be healthy and the sugar association wants the sugar to be healthy. So they'll give money. So then they're all like, let's just blame it on calories because then we're all good, right? Because then you could eat sugar instead of an egg and as long as it's the same calories, it's the same thing. And again, that's so stupid, right? Like, if you take a hundred calories of cookies and a hundred calories of an egg, the minute you put it in your mouth, the body responds completely differently. And we know this completely mm-hmm. respond differently from to the cookie than the egg, right? Hormones go up, hormones go down. The point is that that makes a big difference in terms of influencing. Your blood sugars, your weight gain, your weight loss, that kind of thing, right? Because the, if, if you take in a hundred calories, your body can either store it or it can burn it. Which one it does is very important. If, for example, you take the cookie, you take a hundred calories of cookies, your insulin spikes way up. You take that hundred calories, you shove it into storage, right? Glucose or body fat. Well, you're you're. You've taken those calories, but it's gone straight into storage. You don't have any energy to use. So you're going to go out and eat some more because you need energy for your daily activities, right? Because you took it and shoved it immediately into storage. If you eat an egg, well, insulin doesn't go up. So you actually have energy available to use. So you're not going to be hungry. You're not going to go look for food. And that makes a big difference, of course. So you know this, this idea that it's all about calories winds up being the favorite whipping boy of all you know all the associated they can all agree that let's blame it on calories right let's mm-hmm. just call it calories and that way the sugar people are happy the beef people are happy the butter people are happy the you know the pasta people are happy everybody's happy as long as you do it so then all of academic medicine goes out there and say it's all about calories anybody who says different is a you know uh, you know has their head stuck in the sand it's like oh, you're thinking about this. So incorrectly, but you don't even know because you're so sort of in that sort of uh, echo chamber. That's why they're so so unsuccessful. These academic medicine people—they're all about calories in, calories out—and mm-hmm. you know they don't look at the sort of intricacies of the diet. They try and break it all down to the calories. Your body has no idea how many calories we eat, right? It's 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 not a it's
1: not is, a is that idea. is that is that is that accurate? I mean. Because uh, th- th- this is this is one thing where because I also I'm I'm I am a big fan of the calories in calories out. I don't think it's the be all end all, um, but I think that a you know most people, tons of people are eat, or they're consuming. I mean, wh- when you say something like the body doesn't know how many calories um, it's eating, I mean, is that is that? What do you mean by that exactly? Because that doesn't sound like an accurate statement to me.
0: Yeah. So your body doesn't count calories, right? So it depends on the hormone. So when you eat, you will produce satiety hormones, which tell you to stop eating. It's Mm -hmm. not calories. So if you eat protein, for example, at some point, you have to stop eating protein because there's a satiety hormone called peptide YY. If you eat... um, you know, fat, your kola, which will tell you to stop eating. So your body actually has no idea when to stop eating. That's why you could drink sugar because it has no satiety value. You could drink Coca-Cola, for example, and never get full because you never activate those satiety mechanisms. So your body doesn't actually count those calories. And the thing about the, 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 the sort of, you know, calories is sort of, you know, is sort of like first level, uh, thinking. Like if you say that most people who are gaining weight are taking in more calories than they're expending, well, that's true, obviously. Right. Mm -hmm. But the idea is that, um, you know, in order to lose weight, it doesn't simply mean you have to eat fewer calories. So if you cut 500 calories from your diet and you cut it by eating, you know, cutting out the fat, eating very low fat, high carb foods and eating constantly. Well, what happens is that your body winds up burning fewer calories. So if you want to lose weight, so say you're, you're, you have 2000 calories in, 2000 calories out. Now you want to lose weight. So you cut out the fat and you eat six times a day and you take 1500 calories, right? Your body very soon will burn 1500 calories, So therefore, your weight loss actually stops because you sort of didn't adjust the hormones properly because, um, you know, it really depends on whether you can gain access to your body fat stores, right? So suppose you have access to your body fat stores. You're, you know, you're taking in 2,000, you're burning 2,000, now you eat 1,500, but you make up the 1,500 from your body fat, right? Now you have 2,000, now you can burn 2,000, so that's all Mm -hmm. good now you're losing body fat, you're maintaining your metabolic rate. However, what is it that allows you to access the body fat? And it turns out the hormone insulin, if insulin, insulin levels are high, you can't access those body fat stores, mm-hmm. right? So if you're injecting people with insulin, such as with mm. diabetes, you can't access those body fat stores because insulin is high. In, in science, we say it's it's all about insulin inhibits lipolysis, right? It, it blocks the burning of body fat. Insulin tells your body to store energy, so if it's high, you can't—you you want to store energy, not burn it. Um, if you allow those insulin levels to fall, such as with intermittent fasting, such as with low-carbohydrate diets, but there's lots of different ways to do it.
1: Mm-hmm. Strength training.
0: Then you're going to be able to take the body fat out, so you're going to be able to make up that fifteen hundred. If you don't allow the insulin levels to fall, you, you're 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 eating—you know, your eating goes down from two thousand to fifteen hundred. Well, you have no access to body fat stores. In the energy balance equation, you have to balance that. If you're taking in 1,500 and you want to burn 2,000, where's that extra 500 you're going to come out of mm-hmm. if you can't get it out of your stores? Well, you can't. So therefore, to balance that equation, your body must burn 1,500 calories. That's why just cutting calories by themselves is, is sort of a mugs game. It doesn't work if you can do I- it all wrong.
1: Okay. I think maybe the reason why this sounds odd to me is because I'm athletic and I've been strength training for so long. Um, It seems to be, obviously, strength training and having a lot of lean body mass massively increases insulin sensitivity, which is, I think, something that maybe is not common knowledge. So what I certainly find, and I guess in my experience as well, personally, and with other people I've worked with, is that Calories in if you're if you're strength training and you've got a solid amount of lean body mass, then I found simple caloric manipulation to be extremely effective um, for m- myself and other people I've worked with. I can understand that if someone is more sedentary and they don't have an above average level of lean body mass, and especially if they've already kind of broken their sort of metabolic processes through through years or even decades of poor eating, um, then you know, their insulin sensitivity is going to be very low. And so therefore their metabolism is more likely to downshift as a result of, so for, if I take myself, if I cut 500 calories out my, my diet, my metabolism does not downshift much at all. Um, But that could be, I'm, you know, I'm, I, if I, I, I I might be more of an anomaly here because I've been active in training for such a long time, and I've built a, a lot of muscle mass, but I don't know what, yeah. your, what, what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, Essentially, is there, is there a big difference here between athletes and non-athletes, perhaps?
0: Yeah, there, there, there is, because if you cut out 500 calories and you're very insulin sensitive, then your insulin levels go down, right? When your insulin levels go down, you'll pull 500 calories from your body fat mm-hmm. to make up the 2,000, and your metabolic rate's not going to go down. Yeah. Right. So, so there is going to be a big difference if you're very active versus if you're not active,
1: Mm. but
0: the simple sort of advice for most, you know, relatively sedentary older people just to cut, cut 500 calories is that that's not sufficient to actually cause any weight loss because most of the studies, almost all the studies actually show that decrease in metabolic rate as you go. Mm. So, That's the problem with just, just doing that as a, as an intervention about just calories. Because, you know, my argument has always been that it's really about the hormonal state and not Mm -hmm. just about the calorie state, right? The Mm -hmm. calories is sort of like, you know, um, there's a balance equation and that always has to be true, but focusing in just on the calories is sort of just the sort of first step. Uh, in it because you're not looking at the sort of fundamental reasons why people are eating more calories for example or why Mm -hmm. their metabolic rate is not going up for example and that always winds up being calories right it's like if you look at why people eat it's like well if you're more hungry you're going to eat right and that's going to come down to hormones and satiety hormones right so you know is the problem really calories or is the problem with satiety right if Mm -hmm. you're eating very processed foods that have no tidy value you're going to wind up eating more yeah. so yes you are eating more but there's a reason why it's, it's sort of like the one level deeper sort yeah. of like why w- would are it you be eating more?
1: Wouldn't, wouldn't it be fair to say that it's that it's both because we it's have the only. standard it's- you know we have the standard law of thermodynamics but then also of course depending on what your what foods you're putting in your mouth Um, Yeah. From the macro to the micronutrients to the actual foods themselves to even things like, you know, how much water they have in them. We all know that, you know, fresh fruit is more satisfying than dried fruit, for example. Um, Then that's going to have an impact on your satiety. And naturally, as a result, it's going to affect how much and how often you you eat. Um, because some, I mean, if you're, if you're eating a diet that's, you know, full of whole foods, when I say whole foods, I mean, things that, you know, don't have ingredient lists for people listening or, you know, things that grow out the ground, things your ancestors would recognize, then it's a lot harder to overeat those. They tend to be a lot more satisfying. Whereas if you're just eating processed garbage and eating everything out of a box and, you know, jacked up with sugars and vegetable oils and high fructose corn syrup, all that stuff, it's, it's designed to be addictive but it's not designed to be particularly uh, satiating. And so it's way easier as a result to go um, overboard on them. And also you're not getting all the nutrients and everything that you should be getting. So I think your body probably, I imagine, will send some signals telling you that you're still, even though you're eating a lot, you're still deficient in various things, which is going to even want, you know, your body's going to want you to eat even more to try to get those vitamins and minerals.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I think it's both Um, uh, because the types of food, like the total amount of calories does matter in a sense because it is one of the variables in the energy balance equation. But to me, the more important thing is the sort of the quality of that, right? Because Mm -hmm. eating cookies versus eating salad, if even if they're the same number of calories, they're quite different, right? And this is this was the whole thing when people kept saying a calorie is a calorie. And, and you'd hear stuff. I remember reading something about a doctor who said, you could eat ice cream for dinner, right? It's like because it's the same, you know, if you ate, uh, you know, a dinner mm-hmm. of a 1,000 calories with salmon and salad, you could eat a 1,000 calories of ice cream and be the same. It's like yeah. it's nowhere close to the same, right? The hormonal response to that is completely different right and that's the point right say you take the ice cream for dinner all of that goes directly into your fat stores because insulin has like way up which it doesn't with the salmon Mm -hmm. now you're left looking for more calories because hey your body's like i have no calories all the calories you ate just went into the storage Mm -hmm. right sort of like if you go to the grocery store put everything into the fridge right away put it into the freezer it's like well i have nothing Mm -hmm. to eat And it's like, so you're going to go to the store again, right? Same thing, right? So you eat that ice cream for dinner. All of a sudden, you're looking for more food. So in the end, it's going to lead to more calories, yes. But the Mm -hmm. question is really the quality of those calories. Like, what is it? You know, what I say is that food sort of contains both energy, which is the number of calories, but also the instructions as to what to do with those calories, which is the hormonal response. And that's as important as the total number of calories because- what you do with those calories, what your body does with those calories is is important because if it goes directly into into fat stores, then obviously you're going to gain fat. So you can't ignore one for the other. And for a long time, people have been saying, no, it's just calories, calories, calories. That's mm. all that's important, right? And I'm saying, no, that's not all that's important. It's a part of it, but it's there's more to it than that, right? There's yeah. what you're eating. There's the timing of your foods um, because even if you look at hunger, if you don't eat your hunger, you know, it goes up, but then eventually just goes back down, right? Because your body has taken the energy it needs. Therefore the hunger goes away. So a lot of there's, there's, there's a lot more to it. You have to understand sort of what the, the physiology of it, what the, what the hormones are doing, as opposed to simply just saying, well, you know, count your calories and cut your calories. And the problem with that, of course, is that it, everybody's done it, and it hasn't really worked very well for the overall population. It's not yeah. that calories are unimportant; they are important in, you know, in that it is a source of energy. That's mm-hmm. that's what calories are. But more to the point, like, what are you doing with those calories? Right? Are you storing it or are you using it? Right? That's that's the idea.
1: Yeah, I think something interesting that's actually happened here, and, and maybe this is why these conversations can be a bit, a bit confusing is I think that a lot of stuff from the world of bodybuilding sports and athletics in general actually has been sort of adopted by a general population. That's not very, that's not very active. So, you know, the sort of, if it fits your macros idea is very much from like, you know, bodybuilding especially in the in the 2000s it kind of came from these internet forums where you know if you're if you're a young man who's in the gym lifting weights four or five times a week and you're you know training burning all you know building up your lean body mass your you know your body can kind of turn into a furnace you know my body's like a like a furnace these days right it just kind of i could eat that thousand calories of ice cream every single day and (laughs) i don't get fat right And, and i'm not someone who even naturally i've never been skinny a day in my life right i mean when 20 years ago to to, i I weighed more 20 years ago than i weigh now right i was i was overweight as a teen but now the way my body responds to food and even quote-unquote junk food again as long as it's like in i wouldn't i wouldn't base my entire diet around it but it's basically it's my body's a lot more forgiving I think than the average person's is because of all the time I spend in the gym and all my training and whatever but I guess I am aware myself at least even as someone who you know A lot of people ask for advice on training and diet I'm aware that The average person the average brit or the average american or the average canadian or whatever is not Lifting all the weights that i'm lifting and training the way that they don't have my level of insulin sensitivity They also don't have a decade plus of mostly doing intermittent fasting, which I guess is I don't know exactly what's going on within my body, but I'm aware that it's not like it's not average. It's not the norm. So I'm quite cautious personally um, that just because if something works for me, that doesn't necessarily mean it's great advice for someone who's sitting in an office eight hours a day and is not lifting weights and doesn't have, you know, A lower body fat percentage and a lot of muscle and whatever. So I think, I think maybe that's where some of the confusion has happened because I think the, those ideas, you know, if it fits your macros, you know, just, you know, a calorie is a calorie. A lot of that, a lot of, a lot of that stuff is, it's a lot more relevant to people who are just very, yeah, very, very active or have significantly above average levels of lean body mass compared to fat mass and so on. But I think that it's, a bad idea for the general population to adopt those beliefs. Just like, again, if you're you know if you're eating six seven the six seven meals a day thing. I mean, most bodybuilder bros honestly still still do that, and they look fine yeah. <laughs> and, and and it works fine for them. But if you're the average Joe and you start adopting those same eating patterns, then yeah, you're gonna you're gonna get fat because you don't have anything counteracting counteracting that constant flood of calories that you're getting, and your body's obviously not going to turn it into lean body mass because you're not even giving it the physical training stimulus in order for it to do so.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it really depends on your situation, and and but this idea that a calorie is a calorie for for people mm-hmm. who are very highly active, it's probably true. Right? Yeah. because you're just going through so many. It just like, goes through, yeah. It just goes through. So it really matters very little if you're taking a lot of carbs, like they used to carb load. Remember that whole, mm-hmm. you know, in the 90s, you know, it's like all, all about carb loading. <laughs> well, it's funny, of course. <laughs> I don't know if you remember, but I used to be really into like triathlon and stuff. So this oh, okay. was in the 80s and 90s. So carb loading was, so I did my share of carb loading. It was, you know, before a meal, you'd carb load. And mm. then, of course, you started hearing about bonking. I don't know if we still talking yes. about this. But that yes. was in a term in triathlon where your body is just completely runs out of fuel and you can barely walk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's because you're so fueled up on carbs, you couldn't actually access your body fat. Or yeah, that thrill. was like
1: they called bonking just to be clear that was when someone's completely ran out of glycogen right
0: completely ran out of glycogen and and had no ability to switch over to sort of fat metabolism Mm. as a source of energy so there's a famous uh one where uh, some some triathlete i can't remember she she's crossing the finish line on her hands and knees because she actually just completely ran out of energy. So now we talk about metabolic flexibility, which is being Mm. able to use glucose and being able to use body fat. But it's, I I totally agree with you, right? I mean, at at that level, your calories are probably, you know, not the most important issue there. It, It changes. And I think that's where I get, you know, a lot of pushback from people because they're like, well, you know, it, it works for these people, but it's like, well, most of my audience is not working out, right? They have yeah. to really watch not just the number of calories, but they also have to watch very carefully where they're getting those calories and what those are, mm-hmm. because it is going to make a big difference. Same with type like, two diabetes, right? Like, you know, this was the, sort of this is where the sort of destructive ideas come in that, hey, you can eat 500 calories and it doesn't matter Where you get those calories as long as it's 500 calories but if you eat 500 calories of white bread your sugar is going to skyrocket there's no question because white bread is amylose which is chains of glucose you eat glucose your blood glucose goes up you eat 500 calories of an egg well it's protein and fat so your blood glucose doesn't go up well it's the same number of calories but in one situation your sugar goes way up. The other situation, it doesn't. So for a type two diabetic, it's incredibly important where you're getting those calories from. So this idea that a calorie a calorie, or you know, it all comes down to calories, it's like that's not the question. It's like the question is what is it doing to your body, right? And that's mm-hmm. that's where the macros. Um, and, and I'm not a general fan of macros either because again it's a bit of an unnatural it's it's not always easy if you're eating natural foods you never really know what your macro breakdown is right because mm-hmm. how much fat a piece of meat contains depends on how much fat there is but you don't know like it, it's not on a label right you yeah. have different grades of, of, of beef some well marbled some not so well marbled, right so you just don't know so it's very difficult to do from a from a real um practical standpoint but mm-hmm. again the, the point being that, hey, you know, calories do affect the body differently depending on what they are. And that's, you know, a, an important concern for many people. Again, yeah. that's why I wind up getting into trouble with a lot of sort of bodybuilders. They're like, oh, <laughs> the, the calories. It's like, yeah, you're probably right for you. Yeah, it's probably just completely different for my patient, who's like mm-hmm. a sixty-five-year-old, three-hundred-pound person who barely even walks, right? So yes. it does make a difference. Uh, I, I, I think. What you're talking about.
1: Yeah, I, I think something else that also gets mixed up as well, a part that gets left out of the conversation, is of course, you know, with calories or you know, with foods, you also have the nutri- actual nutritive value. So when you're talking to bodybuilders. A lot of bodybuilders are focused on simply body composition. I think this is where the sort of a calories a calorie thing comes from because from they're thinking from a body composition standpoint, right? If I'm trying to lean down for the summer or for a competition or whatever, then their focus, I mean, look we should all we should all be caring about our health and like the the micronutrient profile of the things that we're eating. Obviously 200 calories of, of skittles. Uh, does not have the same uh does not have the same even even compared to you know 200 calories of of rice you know they're both carbohydrates but i think people would recognize that the rice at least comes with it you know it's got some some micronutrients that are coming with it or even 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 better comparison say 200 calories of skittles versus 200 calories of a fruit salad a mixed fruit salad right obviously with the former you're not getting any vitamins or minerals with the latter yes they're both sugar technically but you're getting you know, beyond the water, you're also getting, you know, vitamin C and you know, vitamin K and vitamin A, whatever else might be in that. Um, so yeah, I think the I think the conversations sometimes get mixed up as well, because you've got the sort of purely thinking from a composition angle versus thinking from an actual overall holistic health angle, in which case in the latter, absolutely, even in the former, a calorie is not simply a calorie, even we haven't even gotten on to the fact that, You know, it takes more, you know, burning if you eat 100 grams of protein you know, you're going to burn maybe perhaps 20 to 30 percent of that in the process of digestion. Whereas with, you know, sugars, you're not right. You're just going to take in that whole hundred. So there's nuances in it. But to take to take it up a level, especially, um, you know, considering time, I want to make sure that people who are listening to this. (laughs) i i i fear i don't want people to become more confused than perhaps they already were so what are some basic for for the average let's just say for the average person maybe they exercise a little but they're they're not a bodybuilder they're not an athlete um you know perhaps they're not completely sedentary though let's say for you from someone who is completely sedentary to someone who does some sort of minor exercise the the average north american What are a couple good rules of thumb that they can just sort of take on board and apply, in your opinion, that are going to work generally well for the vast majority of people?
0: I think in terms of the diet, um, you know, most of the stuff. so, So to me, I always break it into two. Right, The diet is the foods that you eat. And then the fasting period is how long you go without food. So they actually have nothing to do with each other, right? So what you eat doesn't dictate how long you can fast for and how long you fast for doesn't actually dictate what you eat. So they're two completely separate things. But diet, I think most people kind of agree on most of it. That is, don't eat too much sugar, right? That's probably, everybody probably agrees on that. Don't eat too much processed foods, which is, again, Probably, uh, I don't think anybody agrees on that. Eat lots of vegetables. I mean, again, I don't think anybody really seriously disagrees with that, unless, unless you can't tolerate it, of course. But, you know, to me, that, that sort of dietary discussion is relatively uh, safe. So, so I try not to demonize, like, you know, fats, of course, were demonized for so long. In fact, the evidence that those natural fats are bad for you, that ex- evidence actually doesn't exist, right? I mean, there has been huge studies. And in fact, the Journal of the American College of Cardiology in its scientific statement in 2020 came out and said, well, there's a lot of natural fats that are saturated fats that are quite healthy for you, right? Dairy fats and stuff. So, you know, this idea that we should be afraid of fats in general or saturated fats more specifically, it doesn't really hold true. There's actually very, very little evidence that that is actually true. Um, so, so don't try to, you know, so, you so know, you don't have to worry about that. Just try to eat natural sort of foods as close to nature as you can. Um, processing does a lot of bad things to it. And, and that's the diet. So that's not too complicated, right? Okay. In terms of total amount of food, that's a different question, right? And the, the point is that, you know, if you're eating natural foods, it's relatively hard to overeat them. So if you're eating steak, like you can't just keep eating steak, you're going to get nauseated, right? That's why they have those, you know, competitions in Texas where they're like, eat this steak in an hour and we'll give it to you for free. You know, they're not yeah. giving away a lot of free steak. Like they're not stupid, right? Because it's very hard because so, so natural foods have natural satiety hormones that will tell you to stop. So, so that's why you want to eat natural foods. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, the other thing again is, is just make sure that you have a period of fasting because, uh, you know, when you're eating, you're taking in calories, you're storing calories for the most part. If you're not eating, that is fasting, then you're going to use those calories. So you need to keep those in balance. And that was, to me, one of the biggest things was that balance had been completely lost in that we went from a society where sort of we had a balance sort of 10 to 12 hours of feeding, 12 to 14 hours of fasting, that's fine in the 70s, people are eating white bread, right? People are eating strawberry jam and Oreo cookies and ice cream. But they still have a period of fasting where they're going to allow their bodies to use up those calories, right? So you have to keep that in balance. And that balance has completely been lost. And worse, you know, you know, before this sort of recent popularity, people wanted it to get where people wanted you to eat more. And again, probably because of all the studies that were financed by the snack food companies, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And that's where the pushback has been very good to say that, hey, we're just trying to look for balance here, right? We want you to feed. When you feed, you store calories. When you fast, you burn calories. You want to keep those in relative balance. Mm -hmm. And that's going to go a long way, I think, in terms of keeping you you know, at a healthy weight, trying to keep away chronic diseases. And yeah, you can get into the nuances of, you know, calories and hormones and all that stuff. But again, you don't have to, right? Just keep those sort of very simple, uh, simple sort of uh, principles in mind. And the funny part, of course, is that your grandmother could have told you exactly that, right? <laughs> and she could have told you, don't eat junk food. Yeah. Don't eat processed foods. Don't well, are you snack eating all, all the time. time. <laughs> cut, cut out the sugar, right? Yeah. Come on, like your grandmother knew all of that with no scientific tra- treatment. You know, no scientific training. Mm. Um, and you don't have to go into the nuances of, you know, calories, you know, what are the hormones and what are the calories and are these important? It's like uh, you just get into, you know, it's making it too complex. People are just making it too complicated. Um, and it's the same thing with the fasting, right? So if you now are in a situation where you have too much sugar, such as with type 2 diabetes, then what are you going to do? Are you going to feed more or are you going to fast more, right? Well, obviously, <laughs> the right answer is you fast more because that's where you're going to use more of your body's storage sugar. So that's going to work as opposed to the answer that almost everybody gave, you know, three years ago, which you should feed more, if you have type two diabetes, right? And this was the advice people gave, like eat six times a day. It's like, so you're going to put sugar in your body six times a day. That's your answer to having too much sugar, right? (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. So I think those are very simple rules. And I think we, we sort of all agree on the dietary part, like there's some nuances that go here and there. And I'm not Um, you know, and, and that's always interesting debate, uh, gets a little rancorous sometimes, but, you know, to me, it's still relatively minor compared to the general guiding principles. Don't eat too much sugar, don't eat too much processed foods and, uh, don't eat all the time. That's basically it. Even the carbohydrates, I'm not like, you know, that like people, Like carbohydrates, I think processed carbohydrates are still relatively fattening, but there were huge populations of people who maintained fairly healthy body mass indexes on high carbohydrate diets, right? Oh, for sure. China in the 1980s,
1: Japan. I was going to say that there, I was going to say there still, there still are.
0: Yeah, there still are. I mean, Japan still has a relatively high carbohydrate consumption Mm -hmm. proportionally the amount of food they eat is tiny. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, uh, so, so, so they keep it in check there, but, um, you know, they're eating like noodles and rice and so on. Right. Uh, so, so, you know, those sort of, those are valid observations, mm-hmm. but again, you know, if you just take the sort of general principles, avoiding those sort of, um, processed foods and stuff and sugar and eating all the time that, that, that gets you most of the way to where you need
1: to go yeah those, those, those are valuable the ones i tell people often are um if it grows eat it right like if it grows yeah. or if it, or if your ancestors would recognize it as food then it's probably you know there might be exceptions but it's probably generally going to be good for you and nutritious um right. and then yeah also not not eating all the time and for people by the way for for any listeners here who are Afraid of fasting, who the, the the term sounds sort of crazy to them or they're imagining that they need to be out in the desert for forty days or forty nights or whatever. When, when we say a 12 a 12 hour fast, for example, that simply means not eating between 7 pm and 7 a.m or 6 pm and 6 a.m. Like that's a, that's a 12 hour fast. I think people always forget the sleeping part. So whenever you, yeah, when I think people often forget that the overnight is, is part of this. So when I say that I fast for 16 hours, most days, when I say that to people, they're like, what? Like, whoa, like every single day, like that, that sounds crazy. And I'm like, that really just means that, I mean, I eat between like 11 and seven or between 12 and eight or between 10 and six. And then outside of that, I'm just not eating I'm not eating a midnight. I'm not eating late at night, and I'm not eating early in the morning or in morning at all. And your body adapts to that very quickly. If that's a struggle for you, like I said, I think someone should just just start with it. Just try twelve hours. Anyone, twelve hours is twelve hours is a breeze. Like if you if Short you can't do, 12. Yeah. yeah, twelve hours is very easy. And then you'll find you can easily push that to fourteen or sixteen. And then you know, as you mentioned in your book, if someone wants to experiment with you know twenty four hour fast or a multiple day fast, I've I personally my mom does multiple day fasts several times a year, um, probably several times a month at this point. Um, I, I personally have never done it. I probably will at some point just to sort of see what happens, but I'm also super active and I'm always traveling and this and that. So yeah. for someone like myself, it might not be as uh, as optimal as it is for some people, but I'm a big fan of just starting, just like I'd recommend with the gym. You know, if someone's going to the gym, start with the, you, you start with the small weights, you start with the basics and you work your way up. You know, you don't, if you've never fasted before, start with twelve or fourteen hours. Don't start with twelve or fourteen days.
0: And 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 just recognize that the human body is quite an incredible sort of machine, right? Mm. So if you don't eat, as long as you have body fat, you'll be okay. Your body will figure it out, right? Because <laughs> yeah. I remember years ago, you know, this was when I was younger, and this is sort of in the eighties, nineties, and it, you'd eat this big meal at like Thanksgiving or something, right? Thanksgiving dinner, you have this giant meal. And then the next day, everybody's like, oh, we're not gonna eat breakfast or lunch because everybody's just full, right? So that's fine. Everybody was perfectly fine with that because of course everybody's like, yeah, we had like, you know, all this food. So we're just gonna sort of just let it let it burn down, right? And, and it was just sort of natural. And, and that wound up being like, oh, well, after you eat this enormous Thanksgiving dinner, The next day at 7 a.m., you couldn't take 20 steps before you had to shove a muffin in your mouth because it was really unhealthy to skip breakfast, right? And it's like, no, your body is going to figure it out. Your body is basically telling you, you ate way too much last night. You Mm -hmm. can go for a little bit longer, right? And so we, we went from thinking that are like we we think our body is so stupid that we need to manually override it you know and <laughs> shove that muffin down because otherwise we're going to have a heart attack it's like yeah but you ate like three you know we ate like three times our normal yeah. meal the meal before like we can go a little longer so don't be don't be worried about it, right your the body has just an incredible capacity to sort of figure things out mm-hmm. right and all you're doing when you're fasting is letting your body use its stored energy. That's all you're doing. That's yes. all it is. Your body fat, it's not there for looks. It's there for you as a store of calories. So let your body use it. And don't worry about it so much, right? So mm. if if you can do it and it's you know easy or you're able to do it, then go ahead. Your body will figure the rest out for you. You don't have to figure it out.
1: Yes. And emotional hunger or boredom is not starvation, people. It's not starving. That's actually the much
0: bigger problem. (laughs) If you are
1: if you are overweight or obese, do not worry about starvation. That's not a thing. You're you can't start. starvation is the last of your concerns. If you are fasting, yes, you will get emotionally you'll get emotionally hungry. You'll get boredom hungry. You'll get my body is used to eating at this time, so I have a food craving hungry. But that's not real hunger. This is another thing that you'll learn if you fast. You will learn what real you'll you'll learn what the difference between real hunger and emotional hunger. And I think that most people have been running for the past several decades, never having actually experienced genuine hunger, and so they literally don't even know that you they can't tell the difference anymore. So they'll feel, oh, well, I'm hungry, so therefore I'm going to starve if I don't eat in the next few hours. And it's like, no, you're not.
0: I'll tell you. I'll tell you that. I think the psychological hunger is actually a much, much, much bigger problem than the actual physical hunger. The physical hunger, I think anybody can handle, truthfully. Uh, the psychological hunger is, is a bitch. Like, it's, it's tough. And I mm. think it's tougher now because you walk down the street and everywhere you look, there's food. There's food on TV, there's food here, there's food, you know, you you have an office meeting, somebody orders food, right? Uh, You have a lunch meeting because they think when you're meeting, you need to eat, right? So that sort of, you know, the physical hunger, I think, is sort of like 20% of the problem. (laughs) The psychological hunger and, uh, you know, the temptation that it sort of presents is more the problem than anything else. And, and you get to know that as you start fasting, that, Hey, you know, you start thinking about these things and you start realizing that it's like, Hey, I'm not actually physically hungry, hungry, but the urge to eat this is very, very high because yeah. it smells good and it's right here. Right? So it, it's, you know, you bring up a really important point, which is that you have to differentiate between the two because but but recognize that the actual the psychological hunger i think it's actually a, it's a much worse problem to deal with
1: absolutely jason thank you so much for coming on the podcast um thank you, so much. As, thank you as i said one more time thank you thank you for your work um thank you from my parents as well i told them that i was going to be speaking to you and they were very excited and they explicitly said that they want me to tell you thank you from them you've helped to change their lives and change their help for the better with your books. So and I'm sure that's the case for thousands, if not millions of people around the world. So thanks for all the work that you do. And please continue to speak the truth.
0: Thank you so much. It's a pleasure.
1: Awesome. And before we wrap up, is there anywhere you would like to direct people if they'd like to follow you on social media or anything else?
0: uh yeah i mean you can follow me on twitter uh, my handle is uh doctor that's dr jason fung or instagram or on youtube you can link under jason fung uh, i have a, a lot of videos on fasting covering sort of different topics about fasting and nutrition in general so uh that that's uh that's always there available if you want to have a look
1: awesome dr jason fung thanks for coming on the real talk with zuby podcast
0: oh thank you so much
1: Sick with the slave, Sick and I'm destined for fame. True for the fam. Not for the gram. Stunt you're destined for pain. Fame. I do not front. I do not scam. Put some respect on my name. Yeah. Sick like a pain. Click a bang. Y'all gonna remember the name. Hey. Y'all gonna remember the name. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done.